almost 20 years ago, in April 1995, the federal building in Oklahoma City was bombed by domestic terrorists. 168 people lost their lives, 680 people injured, over $650 million worth of damage. The blast destroyed or damaged 324 buildings within a 16-block radius, destroyed or burned 86 cars, shattered glass in 258 buildings, $650 million worth of damage. Apparently, one of the villains in this conspiracy was tied to a white supremacist movement. White supremacists have to exalt themselves as supreme and put everybody else down. In order for them to be superior, everybody else has to be inferior, right? So they have to push other people down. They have to denounce or disrespect others. And the most dangerous aspect of the false teaching that was floating around this church of Colossae, we're in a study in the book of Colossians these days in the gathering, the most dangerous aspect of the false teaching that was floating around in this church in the first century was its disrespect or disregard for the person of Jesus Christ. These false teachers did not believe that Jesus was superior or supreme in any way. To them, he was just a spirit being, one of many spirit beings who bridged the gap between human beings and God. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, forms part of Paul's answer to the false teaching. He proclaims the unqualified supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's just part of his response to the false teachers. (laughs) So please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and we're going to read this passage together. Colossians chapter 1. If you're fairly new to the Bible, you might not know where Colossians is. We want to help you this morning. The first book of the New Testament is the Gospel according to Matthew, and then comes Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you go. Colossians chapter 1. Some of you are looking at me like I'm a complete idiot. (laughs) Not so. Not so. It's just our our intense desire to be a fellowship of of, of people who really not just say, we we don't just say we believe the Bible. We believe it. And and we, we try to learn it. And we try to know it. And in order for us to know it, we need to know where the books of the Bible are located. Right? You're not convinced. That's okay. (laughs) Let me... um, We're going to read this passage. I'm I'm going to read the first few verses, and then I'd like you to join me in reading the rest of the text. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Let's read the rest in unison. Oh, that is the rest. (laughs) He is, let's read it together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So once again, Father, we just pause to pray and ask that You would open up this text to us, that we might understand it for ourselves today and apply it to our own lives today. For the glory of God. Amen. So Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, forms just a part of Paul's answer to the false teaching that was floating around uh, in the city and in the region in those days. But he says, just backing up a couple of verses, he says in verses 13 and 14, that God the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul launches into this wonderful, glorious declaration about the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ. Did you notice how many times he uses the word all in six verses? I mean, just... I tried to stress it a bit when I was reading through it, but Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. By Him, all things were created. Jesus is before all things. In Him, all things hold together. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this language, this expansive language, is in keeping with the fact that Jesus is the preeminent Christ, and He's the dominant figure in all of Scripture, in the Old Testament and the New. Jesus Christ is the preeminent Savior. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we bow at His feet. The range of His authority is absolutely unrestricted. He is sovereign over all. And two profound and sweeping statements concerning the scope of His supremacy appear in this passage. First of all, Christ is the boss in creation. (laughs) Paul begins to make this argument by saying in verse 15, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This word image expresses the idea of of likeness. Christ is the image of God in the sense that He is the exact likeness of God the Father. He's the exact representation of God the Father, just like a an image that's stamped on a coin. Every coin receives the same image. Or just like the reflection in a mirror, it's the exact representation. And so when Paul says Christ is the image of the invisible God, that's what he's saying. The word image also expresses the idea of manifestation. And so Christ is the image of God in the sense that He is that the nature and the character of God are completely revealed in Christ or manifested in Christ. He's the image of God. He's the image of the invisible God. So if you want to see God the Father, just look at Jesus. 
Jesus enjoys absolute supremacy in all of creation because he is the image of the invisible God. Besides, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Now, the word firstborn does, does not imply that Jesus was the first person that was ever born or the first person that was ever created. That's, that's heresy. That's, a, that's an ancient heresy revisited. Rather, the firstborn of all creation implies that Jesus was first in rank and honor. He, he is the firstborn of all creation. He's the, he's the highest. He, he, ranks, he ranks over all of creation. The highest honor belongs to him because he is completely unmatched in all creation. That's what it means to be firstborn. Moreover, Christ is the supreme creator. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the extent of his preeminence in creation is quite overpowering and, and, and needless to say, overwhelming. By him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, <laughs> visible and invisible. And that includes, he goes on to say, that includes all of these angels and heavenly powers, the thrones, the dominions, the, the rulers and authorities. All of the supernatural intermediaries in the heavens, all of them, all that fascinate and all that frighten God's people <laughs> were created by him. He's over, he's over it all. He's the boss of creation. And so it follows that if, if Christ created these beings or these angelic forces that are under his control, then the only power that they have in this world is the power that is given to them by Christ. Doesn't that make sense? Furthermore, Christ is the supreme goal of creation. He's not only the creator, Jesus is also the goal of creation. All things were created through him and for him. Now, some translate the word for as toward. All things were created through him and toward him, which only adds to the drama, really. Uh, it adds to the, to the makes the sense much more dramatic. All things were created by him and toward him. So that means that everything began with Christ and everything will return to Christ. Everything sprang forth from Christ and everything will return to Christ on, on that day. He's the beginning and the end. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the supreme goal of all creation. All of creation is straining toward Christ to bring honor and glory to Him. One day, every knee shall bow. Think about it. The knees that today are, are stubborn and resistant to His Lordship will bow. They, they will bow. Some knees will bow willingly. Some of us will fall on our faces and worship before Him with gladness. And others, of course will be forced to bow. But make, let's make 
Let's make no mistake, every knee, every knee, every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That does not mean that everybody is going to be in heaven. That does not mean that everybody who dies will bow their knee after they they die and and they go to heaven. That does not mean that. That's universalism and that's, that's heresy. And my granddaughter agrees. <laughs> he is the supreme goal of all creation. And then finally, Christ is the, the supreme sustainer. Verse 17, Paul reaches the apex of his argument here. Uh, he's saying Christ is the boss of creation because in him all things hold together. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Reminds me, when we first moved to Windsor, our daughter Kristen had those unsightly braces on her teeth, and she wanted out of those braces so badly, but the orthodontist we had took them off prematurely, and so when we came to Windsor, we we went to see Dr. Bob, who's here with us worshiping this morning. And he said, ah, those braces came off a little too early. We, we have to put them back together so that it holds her teeth all together. That, that, that's the kind of image that I have in my mind this morning, that Jesus holds everything together. He's the sustainer. He's like the brace. He's like the, he's like the glue that holds everything together. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He just says it and it happens. Stay together. It stays together. Fall apart. It falls apart. Whatever he says... That's what happens. Do you believe that? I do. The universe, sustained by Jesus. Your heartbeat, Fred, sustained by Jesus. Kent Hughes has said, seeing Christ as he is will keep us from heresy, for it will steal us against a scaled-down Christ which has captured so many lost hearts. And it will cause us to begin to love him with a real love. And I I know that this scaled-down Christ has captured so many lost hearts, people that aren't part of any church. But what what really scares me, what really frightens me, is the number of so-called Christians who are buying into a so-called scaled-down Christ. Because they've got, just enough, they've got just enough virus in them to inoculate them against the real thing. And so when, when someone comes along preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ and what's absolutely necessary to live a life that's worthy of Christ, they say, oh no, that's, I'm good. You know, I added Jesus to my life 20 years ago, I'm good. 
Meanwhile, they just go on living exactly the way they were before they added Christ to their life. The demands that Jesus places upon us require death to self. We need to follow Him for who He is. And when we see Him for who He is, when we really see Him, it will keep us from heresy. Jesus is the boss of creation. And the second broad, sweeping, profound statement that Paul puts in this passage to to help us understand the scope of the supremacy of Christ is that Christ is the boss in the church. He's not just the boss in creation. He's the boss in the church. This beautiful passage, uh, Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church, who's the beginning, is the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. This is a profound declaration of the supremacy of Christ in the church. To be the head of the church is to be its, its sovereign, majestic, royal ruler. To be the head of the church means that Jesus is preeminent. He's unsurpassed. As the head of the church, Jesus is our captain. He's our commander. He's our pilot. The Boeing 747 Dreamlifter is supposed to be the largest cargo airplane in the world. It carries more cargo than any other plane. It weighs in at over 600,000 pounds. It requires a runway for takeoff and landing of 9,200 feet. That's a long runway. But last fall, back in November, one of these monster cargo planes missed its target destination in Wichita, Kansas. Instead, it landed nine miles to the north at the wrong airport. Now, the pilot was in touch with the right control tower, but he just kind of lost his mind or something. I don't know. He didn't really understand where he was and where he was landing. He landed at the wrong airport that did not have a control tower, and the runway was 3,100 feet short. But he managed to do it, managed to land the plane, and after they unloaded most of the cargo, he was able to take off on the shorter runway and get the plane to the right airport. That was all over the news. And I got thinking, man, oh man, it is is extremely important that we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ in the church. It's absolutely essential that we live out our lives under the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. We have to be very careful. If we land this thing in the wrong place, there will be hell to pay. And I mean that literally. If we land this thing in the wrong place and lead people down the wrong path, yikes. We have to follow Christ as the head of the church. And as long as we're following Him, we're on the right track. Amen? We're going in the right direction if we follow Christ. Christ is the one who guides the church and governs it. Christ is the one who leads the church and loves it. Christ is the one who directs the church and disciplines it. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Not the Pope, not the bishop, not the pastor, not the board. Jesus is the boss of the church. 
We've created a website. And on the website, which you can find at tgcw.org, thegatheringchurchwindsor.org, if you go there and you go to the home page and you hover the mouse over the About tab, you'll see our staff under that. And if you click on Our Staff, this is what you will see. That's what you'll see on our staff page. Jesus Christ is the head of our church. And that's not just a funky idea. That's not just something that we thought, oh, hey, this will catch people's attention. This is what we started with this. Coming from where some of us come from, we said, man, we got to make sure that Jesus is the boss of this church. From beginning to end, and everything we do, we're going to follow him. We just believe it, and we put it on our website to declare it to anybody who would like to go there, if, if they can find it on the internet. Jesus Christ is the head of the gathering church. Yeah, I'm the senior pastor, yes, but Jesus Christ is the boss, and we bow to him, and we follow him, and we obey him. And why is that? Well, it's because of the basis of his supremacy that Paul lays out in Scripture, in verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the boss of creation and boss of the church because in him all the fullness, all the fullness of God, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. He's the one mediator between God and human beings. All of the attributes and all the activities of God are centered on him. And that provides the basis or the foundation for the supremacy of Christ in the church. So, okay. We've been doing some sort of high-level, top-drawer theology this morning. How does that affect my life? When I'm in the office 9 to 5, when I'm on the factory floor from 11 to 7, what difference does it make? How does, how, how, does, how does a passage like Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which talks about Christ as the boss of creation and Christ as the boss in the church, how does that make any difference to Bev Rowe and her family who, who are less than 24 hours out from watching their father and their husband die in the hospital? What difference does it make to them? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. Because it's really very simple. <laughs> I'm a simple guy. And I like things plain and simple. So I can grab hold of it, understand it, and make it work. Jesus is the boss in creation. Jesus is boss in the church. So he really ought to be the boss of my life in everything, in everything. That's what Colossians 1.18 says, that in all things he might have preeminence, that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
What does everything include? Well, everything. The word everything just, it extends his firstness as broad and as wide as is possible. It extends as far east as east can go and as far west as west can go. It covers everything. Everything covers everything. His firstness covers everything in my life and yours. There's no room for democracy here. Oh, in our church, I hope there will be, but when it comes to following Christ, no, this is not a democracy. Jesus didn't ask us to vote on whether he can have all authority in heaven and earth. It's not a democracy here. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is the Lord over all and the King of kings. And he is our master and Lord. That's settled. So he should have first place in everything. He should have first place in our families. He should have first place in our marriages. He should have first place in our professions. And so that, that affects how I relate to my boss. And that affects, uh, you know, when I punch out. And when I come in in the morning. Maybe I'm not on the clock and I like to squeeze an extra five or ten. Or leave a bit early. Firstness impacts the way I do my job. First place in mission and in ministry. First place in matters of the intellect. When you do your studies, you university or high school students, do you say, Lord Jesus, be first place. Take first place in my intellect, my mind. First place in time. First place in love. First place in conversation. I'll never forget the time my wife and I were invited to a home. The guy was a biker, and it was winter. His wife was saved, and he wasn't. He was a biker. We went to the front door. That was a big mistake, because they're sitting in the living room. Right in front of the front door was this Harley Davidson. All, I mean, obviously babied all winter long. The bike sat in the living room. You know, we sat in the kitchen. The bike had preeminence, you know. So there we were. And we're sitting at the dinner table, and this guy, I'm struggling trying to get my now 30-year-old son into a high chair and get him situated, and this guy's telling a joke. And so when he finished the joke, he laughed. And so I laughed, and my wife kicked me under the table. Later on, I found out why. She said, honey, what, why did you laugh at that joke? I said, well, because he laughed. I, I, it's a joke. I laughed. She said, honey, it was an awful joke. It was off color. It was sexist. It was, it was awful. I said, oh, well, I didn't know. I, I was distracted with getting Nathan. But afterwards, the, guy, the biker says to his wife, hey, I like that guy. He laughed at my joke. <laughs> And his wife had some explaining to do, you know. But I'm just saying, Jesus has to have first place in our conversation. So that means we, we don't tell those off-color jokes on the line. Hey, do you hear the one about that? Does he have first place? First place in hobbies and pleasures. Oh, please don't go there, Pastor. First place in sports and fitness. 
He really is a Maple Leaf fan, after all. All you Red Wing fans, come out. First place in music and first place in worship. Jesus needs to have first place in everything. If he is really supreme, and he is, if he has preeminence, and he does, he should have first place in everything. And like Bev Rose said to me last night as we were weeping together in the hospital room, I know God has a plan, and he does. And his plan should take first place in our lives. Almost 20 years ago, the federal building in Oklahoma City was bombed. 168 people lost their lives. 680 others were injured. $650 million worth of devastation. But destruction can just as easily take place in our spiritual lives if we don't consistently put Jesus first in everything. He's the boss in creation. He's the boss in the church. He should be boss in our lives. Let's pray together. You know, it occurs to me this morning that there may be people here who've never made a decision to follow Jesus in the first place. And so this, all this talk about making Him boss and Lord and Master is a little bit premature. So I'd like to ask you, if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ this morning, why don't you come and talk to me after and we can, we can chat together. Father in heaven, as we bow before you with thanksgiving this morning, we humble ourselves in your sight. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ as Savior to redeem us from our sins, to keep us from destruction and devastation that comes from misplaced loyalties. Father God, we repent of our sinfulness today. We repent of our selfishness today in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would forgive us for not allowing you to have full control in every area of our lives as our Lord and Master. So come, Lord Jesus. Come right now in all the fullness of God. Come and stamp your own image deep on our hearts. Let our lives be a reflection of you, Lord Jesus. Manifest your life through ours. Let our lips carry only the words that are approved by you. Let our feet move us only into places that can honor you. Let our eyes and our ears and our hands and our feet be used only for your honor and your glory. Gracious Lord. O great and mighty one, with one desire we come that you would reign in us. Amen.